still like U.S. who said the U.S. is going to be able to weather this. The companies are in great shape, but they're not doing a great job on COVID. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. After a historic slump in March, equity prices surged dramatically through the month of April. Now, with economies around the world beginning to reopen, Mark Ray speaks with veteran portfolio managers Chris Heeks and Chris McKinney to answer the all-important question, will the current market rally hold? Before we hear our experts respond with innovative trade ideas, we want to remind you that when buying and selling ETFs, it's best to avoid trading near the open and close of the market. We also recommend using limit orders and revisiting those orders regularly during the day as markets may shift against you. Hello, I'm your host, Mark Ray. I'm the head of product for BMO Games Canada, covering ETFs and mutual funds. We're joined today by Chris McKinney and Chris Heeks, both our portfolio managers on our ETF desk, focusing on equities and derivative strategies, of course, having a background across the platform as well. So thank you, Chris and Chris, for joining us this week. We've crossed month end, so that would be a great time to look back at flows over the month and you know maybe put them in contrast to, to March as well. So while we've all been focused on the COVID-19 infection curve, the slow and gradual reopening of the economy, and watching, of course, the day-by-day market activity, it's a good opportunity to look back at the flows. And April was, was quite different from March in that we saw muted equity flows and a, and a small rebound in fixed income flows quite different than the previous month. Was this just opportunistic equity profit-taking as markets rebounded, or is there some other way that you would explain this shift in flows? I'll give that one over to Chris. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, everyone, for dialing in again this morning. Yeah, it's certainly been a very interesting couple months, and what we've seen in April play out was almost the uh, mirror opposite of what we saw in March with equity selling off significantly in March. I think we saw a very, very rapid response from central banks, not just in the U.S., but globally, and um, fiscal response as well, uh, very, very quick in implementing some emergency measures to help with the economic slowdown we're experiencing, and, and that really put a tailwind under equities in April. It's a very strong bounce back from, from the lows we saw in March. I think there's a couple things at play here that, that caused the difference in flows. First of all, in March, because there was such a huge sell-off in equities, you have plans, not just in Canada, but globally, that all of a sudden were very significantly underweight uh, in equities. And you know, typical rebalancing of multi-asset portfolios, these things go on throughout the year, obviously maintaining policy weights between equity and fixed income. And for the most part, that doesn't really drive flows too much because it's generally around the edges that this rebalancing takes place. But when you have such a drastic move in such a short period of time, like we saw in March, that can actually impact flows. And so what we saw, at least towards the end of March, was a very strong selling pressure in fixed income and, and buying in equities because, again, a lot of 
policies were extremely underweight equity, probably you know breaching their boundaries of whatever investment guidelines they were following. And so there was this natural tendency to buy equities once they had sold off and to fund that through selling fixed income. And that's, that's what we saw in March is this strong flow into equities at the expense of fixed income. Now, in April, if plans didn't do that, you know, they're actually probably looking pretty good because we did, again, see a nice rebound in the equity market. And so rebalancing into those equities towards month end probably did the trick. And so at that point, you almost, you know, you don't need additional flow in equities. And so that impetus was probably somewhat muted in April as plans are now, if anything, maybe overweight equities. And so we didn't see significant flows into equities. Fixed income, again, there wasn't as much selling pressure in fixed income because you don't need to fund with equity underweight. Um, what was interesting, though, is that we did see flows in April in other areas, such as commodities and commodity-like exposure. And I think that, that they're starting to look for other ways to add non-correlated assets into their portfolios. You know, equities and bonds, particularly corporate bonds, did kind of all go down at the same time in March. Um, and I think in April, investors were starting to look to other areas to try to add diversification into their portfolios. And I think that's what was reflected in, in what we saw in April. Thanks, Chris. I'll just check with Chris Heeks. Uh, anything you want to add to those comments? Uh, thanks, Mark. Yeah, I mean, those comments are right, you know, right on with, with what I have as well. You know, I think one interesting observation is, you know, look at the U.S. market. The NASDAQ is actually almost flat for the year. And the trends we saw in April in the U.S. kind of were definitely in line with that on the equity side. Tech and healthcare pretty heavy. Certainly the commodity, the commodity flows are heavy as well. And we've talked about those future-based energy ETFs. They did see flows. Again, a reminder to be very careful with those. Please please contact us and we can give you more information. But certainly um, the, the healthcare and the tech, and again, we have our quality exposure that we've advocated for, still seeing flows there, really good performance. So I thought that was interesting. And, and you know, just to give kind of a kind of a somewhat of a selfish shout out, uh, BMO had a pretty good month. We had 800 million of flows. And I think we'll, we'll get into the call on, uh, on where those came from. But um, a, a good month for us as well. So happy to see that. All right. Thanks both. So let's try to get into the flows a little bit here. Within equities, BMO's ZEA, or, or international exposure, uh, was the top asset gatherer. Do you see a rotation towards Europe, maybe based on being a little further ahead on the pandemic curve? Or does the weaker economic backdrop heading into the shutdown in, in Europe give you pause? And it, and it looks like this trade is coming at the expense of Canada. Is that due to you know oil and the impact to our our economic prospects here, or anything else going on there? And to tie into it, maybe different ways of investing in international or European markets. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And you definitely, uh, EFI was the region that saw the most flows. So on our ZEA, which is the MSCI EFI ETF, we had 460 million of flows in April, and in the Europe quality. You know, in May, we're off to a hot start. We have over 70 million in flows into ZEQ, the Europe high quality ETF. I think, you know, the comment on the COVID picture is really accurate in terms of, of where they are. So if you look at the global picture on COVID, look at the stats, Asia is doing the best. Now we can debate China's numbers may or may not be fully accurate, but if we believe Japan and South Korea, you know, South Korea, South Korea in particular has had 
you know, astonishing ability to flatten the curve. Uh, Japan's done very well as well. So we're looking pretty good in Asia. You know, China equities actually recovered. They were one of the first equities to, to recover coming out of this. So that's, you know, there's positive sentiment there for sure. Um, and then in terms of Europe, if you compare Europe to North America, you know, Europe's doing a much better job. Um, somewhat unfortunately to say that that North America really isn't doing as good a job. That's the reason why I say that's unfortunate. But Europe's doing a very good job, and the cases are really down drastically. Italy and Spain were hotspots. They're down drastically there. They're down uh, significantly in France, Germany, really across the continent. I'm not exactly sure how they're accomplishing that, but they're doing a very good job. You know, I've heard that they're a little more, had put more emphasis on people wearing masks in some of those countries. In contrast, you know, the U.S., the curve is flattening, but not as deeply flattening. They're still taking on quite a few new cases. And, and you know, we've all seen this. The country's been, you know, they're starting to open back up the country. Canada's doing okay. Canada's not doing great either. You know, in comparison to Europe, Canada's really not doing great. But we still like U.S., just given the strength of the overall economy, you know, how well that market's performed coming into this. We said, you know, the U.S. is going to be able to weather this. The companies are in great shape. But they're not doing a great job on COVID. Canada's not doing the best job either, um, unfortunately, and, and and you know is besieged by these energy problems. So I think that's why some people have started to turn an eye towards EFI and Europe in particular. You know, I think it's pretty interesting, and, and we're actually publishing a piece on uh, ZEQ, the Europe Quality. We're going to be publishing a piece in the next day or two, I think. You know, I think this is an interesting exposure to play Europe. Goldman Sachs coined something called the Granola Stocks. You know, so that's an acronym. And and most of those granola stocks are held in ZEQ. You know, what they really are is consumer staples and healthcare. ZEQ's got a tremendous track record, and, and these defensive sectors have been the place to be. You know, if you look at what's the one part of Europe that is really not doing well, and it's, it's going to be the financials. You know, financials globally have underperformed, but European financials are in pretty dire shape, actually. And uh, that's one exposure that the ZEQ gives you is it's going to take away a lot of that financials exposure. You know, most uh, I think most of our, you know, most Canadian investors, North American investors, we get enough financials exposure, whether it's through the banks or through, you know, even the S&P 500 has a good weight towards financials. I don't think we need uh, the European financials exposure. So I, I do like the ZEQ and, and also looking to the, you know, ZEA more broadly as you know, a way to diversify and, and potentially benefit. Um, you know, one quote that always sticks with me is is Mario Draghi, you know, and he said, you know, we're going to do whatever it takes to save Europe at the time. You know, that's from a few years ago, but I think that mentality is still there. The U.S. is about record stimulus, but the Europe, they, they really have the same method, the same philosophy as well. I think that do whatever it takes philosophy is still there. So, you know, we are seeing investors go to the region. I think it's it's an interesting place to put some capital, especially given you know the problems Canada's having with energies. All right, thanks for that, Chris. And I I think a lot of it comes from the relative trade. If if you think about you know our exposure to to energy and how that's going to affect the whole economy, including the banks, I think that's why you're seeing some of that rotation trade occur as well. So let's go to another area of flows. Let's take a look at gold because we certainly saw gold after years of being dusty in the corner of the room suddenly jump up near the top of the tables. We've seen bullion rise to you know hover around seventeen hundred at this point. There's been a bit of a disconnect between bullion and gold producer equities, but the, the equities have caught up in a hurry. 
What's your view uh, on this trade right now? Is it is it a little late to get in? Is there still a lot of legs? What would be the catalyst to keep gold moving higher? I'll give that one to Chris McCain. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. And yeah, gold certainly has had um, you know a nice run here. I think about one year ago, six months ago, it was thirteen hundred. Now it's up to seventeen hundred. And you know, we we think gold exposure actually does make sense here going forward. Still, probably you know more upside. And, you know, if you take a look at, you know, what are some of the drivers of gold, you know, what would cause gold to, to rally? You know, first of all, gold's a nice diversifier in a, in a portfolio, and that kind of goes to what I was discussing earlier. You know, people looking for non-correlated assets in case there is another sell-off. They don't want uh, corporate bonds to go down with their equities. Um, they want something that is going to add true diversification, and gold is potentially something that can solve that. Um, but it's also typically been viewed as a hedge on equities, uh, a hedge on the U.S. dollar, um, and a hedge on just you know monetary expansion. And if you think about what we're going through right now and what's going to be playing out over the next couple of years, it, it's looking, you know, it's still early days, but looking like this is potentially the, the largest monetary expansion we're, we're ever going to live through over the next few years not just U.S., but globally, the amount of money that's being injected uh, into the system is, is, is going to be astronomical. saw this play out post-2008, where you know the U.S. initially announced QE1, then it was QE2. You know, I think now the market is just looking at QE infinity, right? It's just going to keep going on forever, potentially, is, is the mindset. But you know, coming out of 08, 09, through that monetary expansion, you know, that causes the U.S. dollar to potentially depreciate over time as more and more debt is being built up. You know, gold had a very strong run over that, that next two to three years from 09 into uh, September. I think it was September 2011 when it hit its all-time high, up to about $1,900 an ounce. Um, you know, coming out of 2008, it was at about 900 So that was, you know, almost a doubling over those couple of years. And the conditions right now, as, as I was saying, are actually very similar to what we saw back then, only even ratcheted it up even, even more so. And so even though gold is now at $1,700, it's not too far from that all-time high, um, we think there's definitely um, you know, room for that to rally further and potentially reach a new all-time high. So you know, then the question becomes, okay, well, if I do like gold, I think that's going to appreciate in value. How do I invest in it? Do I... Do I buy one of these ETFs that, that just invest in physical gold? Do I buy gold stocks, you know, junior gold miners, the senior producers? You know, what's the way to go? And, you know, of course, there are different ways to play it and different considerations for, for each of those. You know, if you do look at some of the gold bullion ETFs, um, where one share, uh, one unit actually represents a fraction of a bar of physical gold sitting in a, in a vault somewhere, there's actually a, a little bit of due diligence you have to do. You have to take a look at who who is the custodian that is holding on to that gold. And, you know, it sounds kind of crazy that you have to worry about that, but a lot of gold investors, you know, they, they view that as a hedge against, you know, the end of the world, the end of the financial market. And so if you just have part of the financial market as holding that gold for you, you know, maybe maybe that doesn't actually work out in the best case scenario. You know, there are there are some ETFs out there where the custodian that's holding the gold is rated only one level above junk status in terms of their, their credit rating. 
And so is that the custodian you want holding on to your gold bars when you're expecting potentially more economic shocks and, and, and things like that? So there is that sort of almost counterparty risk you have to think about if you're going into that physical metal. Now, what most people know how to do is, is invest in equities, right, in gold-related equities. And in, in that case, you have, you know, you can go to the junior producers or the senior. Um, and the benefit of using equities to, to get exposure to gold is that equities obviously are, are levered. You know, these companies have some level of debt. And so as gold rallies, these companies have the potential to rally multiples of, of what the gold price actually goes up because they are levered to that price of gold. And so there's a nice potential tailwind behind those, those gold stocks as, as gold prices rise. Now, the, the considerations you need to make are, oh, okay, am I looking at junior producers that maybe don't have as much gold and are, are still digging for it or looking for it? You know, these companies tend to be a little bit more levered as well, have more debt. So you could have that extremely high potential payoff, but they could also run into liquidity concerns in the near term, uh, financing concerns and things like that. So, you know, we would prefer, uh, you know, that that might be for, for a risky type investor looking for, for a nice significant payoff on this gold rally is that junior play. But we would prefer the more senior producers. I'm thinking of our, our ZGD uh, ETF, that's the global gold um, ETF that tends to have the more senior producers in there, the more established companies that, you know, don't have as high levels of debt and so are not, as concerned with the financing going through these these next few months and the next year or so in terms of uh, additional financing. Um, but also, these are the companies that might have the potential to scoop up some of these juniors. If some of these companies do run into issues, the senior producers that might be able to buy these other junior stocks at a so-called discount to NAV and be able to benefit from it that way as well. So we think that the, the senior gold producers that you find in ZGD might be the best way to play you know, the gold rally and what we think is going to actually play out over the next couple of years for a couple of those reasons. All right. Thanks for that, Chris. Appreciate the different ways that uh, you can access that, that gold trade. Let's turn to another area that's getting a lot of interest, maybe not showing up as much in the flow tables because of all the different ways you can access it. But let's talk about technology when, when you consider, you know, what the new work environment is going to look like. You need to have a lot more things flow online and, and all the spacing that's going to continue to occur. So investors know to look to the U.S. to get tech exposure, but they may not necessarily want to invest in a U.S. ETF like, let's say, XLK from Sector Spiders. They may want a Canadian product. So in Canada, due to tax reasons, you, you might want a Canadian domicile product. What are different ways to play this trade? If, if you start as simple as the S&P 500, and move towards a more concentrated exposure. Thanks. Sure, and, and like you say, you know, technology certainly has seen a, a big tailwind um, as we move to a more remote working environment, a more remote operating environment, and not just through our business uh, activities, but staying connected with family and friends, and even the way we we shop for goods and things like that. You know, you don't really need to leave your house anymore to get what you need uh, on a daily or weekly basis. And so it is an interesting area that we think, uh, you know, this this environment is really going to push the acceleration of that into a more normal or everyday sort of activity, um, utilizing some of these tools and, and these technological platforms. 
Um, and so there is a there is a lot to look at and a lot of ways to play it, as you mentioned. And you know, maybe the first thing I'll mention is that you know, generally people look at sector exposure of a fund or, or an ETF. Just keep in mind that when you're when you're playing this sort of thesis, it's not only information technology that you're looking at. For example, companies like Google or Facebook are actually in the communication services sector. They're classified under a different sector. You know, Amazon, uh, which has seen its stock rally significantly as probably everyone is utilizing it more and more on a daily basis. Amazon's a consumer discretionary stock. You know, it's a company that sells goods but relies heavily on, on technology in order to get those goods to us and in order to keep that efficient. And so, it's, again, it's not just the technology or sec- sector you're looking for. So keep that in mind as you are looking through different investment options, that the way to play this, this sort of story is not just through one sector. But, you know, it is a good place to start in the U.S., um, as most of these companies or a lot of these companies globally are domiciled in the U.S. And, you know, the, the S&P 500, as you mentioned, Mark, has a pretty decent weight in these companies. I will look, um, you know, at, at technology explicitly. That's about a 26% weight in the S&P. And then, of course, some of these other companies that I've mentioned are, are some of the top weights in the S&P 500 as well. So you have a nice concentration just in that broad-based index. If you wanted to go a little bit more further and a bit more specific, um, of course, the NASDAQ index, and we have that through ticker ZQQ, hedge to CAD, or ticker ZNQ that has U.S. dollar exposure. That has a strong weight to the technology sector and to some of those other companies, those communication services companies. So it's not quite a sector fund, but it's, it's pretty close to it. You know, you're about half of IT, and then another 20% is, is a communication services. So you're, you're pretty concentrated in these sort of companies that are listed on the NASDAQ and are part of the NASDAQ 100. And so those are a couple of ways to get there. And again, you're, you're, you're starting to shift into a bit more of a concentrated exposure. You know, another way um, to gain access to these companies, and, you know, we've used, uh, we, we've talked about this fund before, is our, our quality ETF, the ZUQ, U.S. Quality it's actually a really good way to play this sector because, you know, this is where a lot of the quality companies are right now. There's a very heavy weight in information technology with almost 50% of the fund or 50% of the index. And those communication stocks are another 10, 12%. And so there is a, a pretty strong overweight there as well. You know, what I like about using the quality ETF though to get this exposure is that right now ZUQ is made up of IT and, and communication companies because that's where the quality is. In two years' time from now, as, as this starts to play out, if some of those companies start to deteriorate in quality, the quality screen of this fund is going to pick up on that and start to shift away from those sectors. And so it's a nice long-term buy and hold. Yes, I like technology. Yes, I like this thesis right now. I want to buy and hold something, though. I don't want to necessarily be tactical. I'm going to buy U.S. quality, and it's going to be full of the, the, the top-rated companies in these sectors because it only buys quality companies. Um, but also over time, as I continue to hold this fund, if some of these companies start to deteriorate in quality, it's going to shift away from them and into some other sectors where quality is rising. And so we think that's actually a really good way to sort of as a buy and hold strategy, take a look at taking advantage of some of these technology oriented stocks. And maybe just one other that I'll throw out there that's a little bit different in order to gain access again to a lot of these sort of companies technology or otherwise, 
is through our ZCH, our China ETF. And obviously investing in Chinese equities or China equities through ADRs that are listed in the U.S. And you'll find very, very similar companies in there that are doing the same things that we're talking about with these U.S. companies. So Alibaba, for example, or JD.com, same as Alibaba. Baidu.com is the search engine. So, you know, all of these companies that we're talking about, Amazon, Google, and all these other things, if you want to diversify from those companies because you think you might already have too much of them, you have a lot of companies doing a similar thing in China that has actually a much larger consumer base and a much larger potential to grow as citizens and consumers grow into the middle class in, in China. The other thing that's in the, the ZCH is companies like TAL Education Group. So think about remote learning, okay, what, what all students are doing right now and probably will continue to do maybe through extracurricular activities or things like that is learning remotely. So the TAL Education Group specializes in remote learning through various subjects. And I anecdotally, you know, my, my kids have started to do some of this remote learning, not just through school, but through some of their extracurricular activities. And some of these platforms that they're relying on over here are based on some of these Chinese technology companies. And so that's just another area to look at. It's a little bit different than what everyone's talking about here in North America. Might be able to provide some diversification away from some of those companies and just another way to sort of play this, this thesis that technology is going to underpin a lot more of what we do going forward. All right. Thanks for that, Chris. So we'd like to thank everyone for joining us on the call. And of course, thanks to both Chris McKinney and Chris Heeks. I really appreciate your time. So once again, thank you to everyone for joining the call. Have a great day. And thank you once again. Thank you to Mark Race, Chris Heeks, and Chris McKinney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard a diverse spectrum of opportunities in European equities, gold producers, and technology giants all of which are accessible through low-cost ETFs. For more information on these trade ideas, please access our resources in the episode notes below or contact your regional ETF specialist today. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please contact Andrew Vachon at andrew.vachon at bmo.com. Meanwhile, to learn more about ETF strategies mentioned in this episode, please contact your regional BMO ETF specialist. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time, without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.